Romans chapter 7. We've got some ground to cover here as far as the information and the detail. Uh, this uh, Romans 7 is uh, probably one of the most difficult passages uh, in the book of Romans, if not in all of Scripture, quite honestly, because of what Paul says about the law. He makes some comments. You remember Peter in 2 Peter 3, and he says, hey, there's some hard things to understand over there. When, when Paul gets to talking, you better be careful. And this is why, because he is going to deal with the issue of the law. And in dealing with the issue of the law, he's going to say some things here that we have to be very uh, deliberate with. And uh, who is that mask thief? <laughs> so uh, very, de- yeah, we did. We all saw him. Yeah. Uh, as, we, as we look at this, we have to be very deliberate with. Uh, we're, so we're going to kind of go back over some things and, and, and really kind of flesh out some of the detail that's in here. The, we, have to, uh, we have to be very careful that we leave the passage in its context to who is talking and to whom he's talking to. You have to remember the Apostle Paul is talking to you, a member of the body of Christ. He is not talking to the nation of Israel. He is not talking to the, um, the unsaved world. The illustration that he's going to use here, uh, we kind of looked at it last time quickly. Uh, we're going to go back in it here as he looked, and he's going to use a personal uh, very private uh, illustration of himself. Uh, the, the passage here talks about marriage. It's an illustration only. Again, verse 2, the, she, the key word in verse 2 is that word loosed. He's dead, she's loosed. All of the legal restraints and confinements and, and tentacles of the law have been excuse me, severed. Then in verse 3, the key word is that word free. He's dead. She's free now to do what? Go get married again. So you and I are free. We've had the tentacles of the law loosed from us, spiritually we're talking about, functionally, in our position here. Now we are free to go and be married to another, our, that relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, as we come through the first four verses, deal with our position. Here's who we are. Then verses 5 to 12, we looked through last time, deals with our, our provisions. Here's the, pro, the provisions. And then this morning, we're going to start the last section in verse 13 and work our way down, hopefully, to verse 22, but we'll see how far we, we get. So start reading with me in verse 13. Let's just read the last section and just kind of take in what we're going to discover here from Paul. Verse 13, was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become, I'm sorry, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. 
For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. You get, you're exhausted, aren't you? It's like, holy cow, what in the world is going on here? You know, for over all, I think I counted 47 times, Paul says, I, me, myself. And then the Yahoo commentators say, oh, this is an unsaved person's talk. It's like, what? Not when he's saying I and me and myself. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of things that are going on here. And what really, really quickly begins to happen is we begin to discover that there's a very clear pattern in all of this that Paul is developing. And as we go through this, we, I want stay with me, okay, as we go through this week and next week, and you begin to see this clear pattern of how Paul is, is dealing with this issue from a personal standpoint, his own personal experience. By the way, his conclusion in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of, spirit, of, uh, of, uh, of sin. You know, that's the, this section is dealing with how it is that Paul is going to do something with his mind and with the flesh, and both are a problem. And what happens is, as we read this passage and we say, well, wait a minute, he's going to serve the law of God, and oh, isn't that a good thing? We're going to find out that that is a bad thing. See, the room just went, hmm? Because what is the law of God? The Ten Commandments. Wait a minute. I just found out I was dead to that. And yet now I'm over here in my thinking underneath. See, we're going to find out there's a problem here. We're going to find out that, again, in the context, okay, the law, verse 12, is what? Righteous, holy, good, just. It's, it's, it isn't the law. It's who? The sinner. And we're going to find out as we go down through here that the law of God is, is a problem in the struggle of the believer today to live and worship and serve God. In Romans 8, we'll find there's another law. Look over at chapter 8, look at verse 2, that's going to be introduced. That is the answer, 8-2. For the law of the spirit of what? Life 
in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, the law of God that my mind's going after and my flesh is working in, you know what that produces? Death. In chapter 8, we're going to find out about the, the, there's a law. By the way, the word law, please, I hope, you don't instantly run to the Mosaic law and think that that's what that word's talking about. The law of sin is that part of the Mosaic law? No. That's something else. So the word law simply means that which governs power to control, tendency to rule over. So when you think about the law, you have to let the context define for you what it is. Is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus a part of the Mosaic law? Not at all. It's never even considered, see. We've, we're going to learn that the law is designed to push everyone to who? To Christ. But that's the law of the spirit of life, the rule, the governing principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is where we're at. Now come back into chapter 7. In Romans 7, there is no life. Look at verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this, what? Death. You see, in Romans 7, there is no life. In Romans 8, there is life. And in, it's going to be in Romans 8 that we're going to find out about, we're going to serve in the newness of spirit. Okay? So when we get into this, we need to remember to be careful here. When Paul says there in verse 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. See, Oh, that's a great thing. No, it's not. In the context. By the way, it says inward man. It doesn't say inner man. You see, you have an inner man that has an old sin nature. See? It doesn't say inner man. It says inward man. We're going to talk about that as we go through here. We're going to, we need to remember what Paul is seeking to describe for us and to put into place. Go back up to verse 6, okay? Because when we come out of, so we're going to kind of review from last week a little bit to get into this new section because they are linked. And if you don't understand the provisions, when we get down in here now and talk about the product, what it's designed to look like, you're lost. And you think naturally that following the Ten Commandments and the law of God is a good thing. Paul's going to say, no, it's not. You've been, you're dead to that. By the way, the Ten Commandments are just a, a description. We were talking about some of this yesterday a little bit. A description of, of the, mor the moral law that God has given man since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. See. God's given his law. Why? Verse 12, it's righteous, it's just, it's holy, it's good. But with Moses, we had now a contract in place. He, I don't know if you've ever thought about Abraham. I, I, I think about Adam and Eve. The kid kicked out of the garden. Chapter 4, they take Cain and Abel, teach them about animal sacrifice and the sacrifice issues. You know, they were not required to do that. There was no one, if you want it, then do this. It was just, uh, this, is what, this is what we do now. Abraham, when Abraham makes that offer to the, his priest of Melchizedek there, 
You know, nothing demanded that of Abraham. He just did it. He did it in rejoicing the situation that he was in, Genesis there, with getting the, the sign and the seal and everything. He just did it. Noah gets off the ark. There's nowhere in Scripture that says, Noah, you've got to offer me a sacrifice when you get off the ark. But Noah was instructed in doing what? Bringing the proper animals for a sacrifice. Oh, back in the Old Testament, there's a wonderful study about the free will offering. That is not an offer. See, they had offers and sacrifices they were demanded to bring, but a free will offering was never demanded. But it's instructed. The instructions are there. And you follow that. I followed that free will offering through one time. And you know what Abraham was doing? A free will offering. You know what Noah was doing? A free will offering of thanksgiving. You know how you know that? Because Moses, the if and the then, hadn't, is not on the picture in the scene yet. Isaac, when Abraham takes Isaac up on that hill, Genesis 22, that's a free will deal right there, man. Now, it's going to picture out what we later know to be Calvary. We understand it. But in the moment, he was just doing what? What God's word told him to go do. There was no demand. Abraham, what, willingly went and did. Isaac, Jacob, you look at those guys. Go back to Joshua. Joseph and those guys, when they're doing stuff. And then when Moses gets on and lays in the if and then clause, now it's all a what? Now it's that law principle, it's a covenant, it's an agreement, it's a contract that they have to do or else. You follow that? So when we get into this, we'll see real clearly where Paul is going to describe something for us that just as we think we're doing good, i.e. following the law of God with our mind, he says, that's a problem. You're in the wrong place. You're doing the wrong thing. You're actually walking in your flesh. 7-6. Got to get off my little... That was a rabbit trail, by the way. <laughs> I get back into my eight pages of notes here, okay? It was so funny yesterday because we had a full room, and Brian's up front, and he's reading. I can see him looking at my notes. <laughs> and, he, and I'm sitting there going, I don't think he could read my handwriting. <laughs> But the numbers. All right, verse 6. But now we are, notice the language here as we go through this. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were, what? Held. Delivered, held. If you look at verse 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. Notice that. In the time past law system, if we're not careful, we're going to still be what? Held. If we operate in that old, in the law system, the law principles, we're going to be held in a captivity, that we're going to be in bondage. And you know what we're gonna, what's going to happen? Sin is going to prove to be a continual problem in our lives on a daily basis. Don't go back over to that old system. 
And the reason for that is because we're trying to serve God, we're trying to live for God, we're trying to worship God based upon the law principle, the if and the then, the performance management system. We're, verse 6, we're held. What are we held? Well, we're, we're held in that oldness of the letter, the end of the verse. And that's what the rest of 7 is going to talk, talk to us about, the oldness of the letter. Rather, we should be where? Serving in the newness of spirit. That's going to be chapter 8, okay? We have a new relationship in and with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should be out there serving in the newness, in that new relationship. And rather, what are we naturally going to tend to drift for? The old. That's where we're going. That's where we naturally move towards is the if and the then, the law principle. Why? Because you know what your flesh loves? To be told what to do. Tell me what to do. And you know what happens? We naturally move that way. Paul's going to give us some details now. Verse 7. What shall we say then is the law of sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin. Paul is not using a hypothetical situation here. This isn't something that, uh, this isn't a parable. This isn't an illustration that he came up with. This is a personal situation. He's literally exposing his heart. And he's share, he, he, he opens himself up. And you know what? God the Holy Spirit wrote it down and put it in Scripture. Now, would you like God the Holy Spirit to put your sin in Scripture for all of the world to read and to know about? No, we would not. See? You, you, you're, you know, you don't want... I, I think you, you hear about the celebrities and they go sue the tabloids because they'd say stuff. And, and what, billions of people know about it? Paul says billions are going to know about this. And you know what? It's okay. I'm the pattern. You need that picture. Here it is. It's remarkable to have this in Scripture, by the way. It would have been very easily to have something else be here. But rather, we learn from it. And what we begin to see, a picture of Paul's personal, internal struggle when he tried to serve God in the, under the law principle, under the law. And you know what? He's, he's a like man of passion. Just, he's just like you and I. And guess what? He gravitated toward it. We naturally gravitate towards that old system, the law. And what we're going to see Paul do is we're going to see that he thought he could control it. He thought he could, he could uh, restrain this issue in his life. He thought he could work it out. He thought he could do it in his own abilities and his own strength. He thought he had it taken care of. And you know what it's going to do? Look at verse 11. For sin taking occasion by the commandment, what? Deceived me and slew me. And guess what he's going to find out? Can't do it. I, I was, the result is failure. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's the result of it. 
verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Again, he is never saying that the law is the cause of the sin. We already know that. 5.12, sin came into the world by Adam. So never say that the law is the cause of the sin. No, sin is already in you. That's the point. And that's what Paul's driving to. That's why the law, the Old Testament, the old system, will never work for you and I today. And then it really didn't work for Israel, but he's not dealing with them. He's dealing with us. And he says it didn't work for you. It can't work for you because you're the problem. But in your new identity and who you are in Christ... Guess what? We're dead to sin, we're dead to the law, and we're alive over here to God. We're alive in grace. You follow what's going on? He's painting this beautiful picture here. So what happened? Verse 7. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Remember verse 5, the motions of sin. For when we were in the flesh, and we talked that last time about being in the flesh He's talking about being in the law. He's not, talking, he's not talking about being in this body. He's talking about the thing inside of you that's designed to run and control you. It's got a mind of its own. We looked at that last time. It's got motion. It means it's what? It's alive and it's working. That's why he'll say down here in a minute that sin revived. It went to work in overtime. It's always working. It's always there, but it went over time. The law, notice verse 7. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the what? What did the law do to, to, to poor Paul? It exposed what's, what's really in you. <laughs> it's exposing what's already there. Verse 7, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. He says, I got an issue of the sin of lust covetousness, I didn't know that was a problem until what showed up? Exodus 20, verse 17, thou shalt not covet. That's a fa he said, when that thing showed up, now guess what? Now I know what this was. Sin what? It revived. It slew me. It deceived me. Paul's demonstrating that sin in its natural condition is very cunning and deceitful. And you don't even realize it's working sometimes. And sin will come along and exploit the law. And it'll do it to achieve its goal in your life, which is to upset the apple cart. It's to get you away from where you're supposed to be. The particular sin is very fascinating to me. We were discussing this uh, Monday night, and come back to Exodus 20. Hold on, but hold, we're going to read Romans 7 first. If, and I know we didn't look at this last time. What happened here in Romans 7? Paul already had going on in his life the issue of lust, the issue of covetousness. But he didn't know it until he goes to the law, and what did the law say? Thou shalt not covet. He the law shined a LED light on the problem and said, that's already been here. So what happened to Paul, though, 
is when he thought he could deal with covetousness, he thought he could suppress it, control it. He started to perform to regulate the issue. And when that happened, he tried to do it his way. You know, the old Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. When he did that, all that it did was cause, well, all this confusion that we just read a minute ago and going, what in the world is he talking about? Now, look back at Exodus 20 because think about Paul. Look at Exodus 20 and verse 17. Let's read the thing here. And the, the, what's fascinating to me is notice why the lust desire is there and why the law could not change Paul, can't change you inwardly. Paul says, everything I know is because the law said it, that's what it was, but you know what? I still desired to do it. Even though the law said, thou shalt not covet, what did Paul still want? He still wanted lust, covetousness. You see, the law didn't come in and fix it. Exodus 20, verse 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is in thy neighbor's. Is thy neighbor's. The necessities there. Think about that. Don't covet what's not yours. Come back to, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's think about Paul. Paul lays out this very specific sin because it's talking about and dealing with in the realm of physical necessities. He's not talking about lusting after something spiritually. He's talking about... I get my Chevy truck yesterday to come to Bible study yesterday morning. It wouldn't start. Okay? And I know the joke, Joe. You can take your Ford and go down the road. Okay? So I go out. We, I take the infinity. We get here. We have the morning. I get home. It's a dead battery, I think. All right? I hope it is. But you know what happened? On the way home... Ricky and I are talking about a new Toyota 4Runner. And guess what we pass by? The Toyota dealer. <laughs> and you know what's real easy to do is to slide through and go, hmm, I can get out of that Chevy real. It's, a two, it's not four-wheel drive. That 4Runner's four-wheel drive. That's pretty, yeah, you know, okay. The, the car to end all cars, you know, type of. That's how we're pitching it to the finance department over there in the corner, you know. And uh, the Speaker of the House hasn't spoke yet, so... But, you know, that's what you, you begin to want, you know. Dad always said that they, in Chicago, they dug the potholes out front of the car dealer, so you drive by and hit the pothole and go, man, I need a new car. Well, hey, there's a new car, you know. You, you, see, it's a, it's, a, it's a thing going on inside of your flesh. The particular sin here, Paul's life, and what's happening with Paul is he thought he could have victory over it, and, and instead he's... Losing the battle. And he says, I was there, so can you be. So let's pay attention. Look at 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, this specific sin here, Paul lays it out about covetousness, material necessity. That's the point. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. 
Notice this, for I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, what? Last. As it were, appointed to what? You're going to sign up to be an apostle? You're going to be the last? And your end result is death. It's coming. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, unto the angels, unto men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise. Now, the rest of this passage is sarcasm. Okay? He's being very sarcastic here. Actually, all the way down to really the end of the chapter. Okay? We had some discussion the other day about the verse down there about 10,000 instructors. I don't believe they had 10,000. I think it's sarcasm. You got all these people telling you what to do. You know, I'm the one that you should be listening to, Paul says. And you're not. Look at verse 10. For we are fools and for Christ's sake, but ye are wise. We are weak, but ye are strong. We, ye are honorable, but we are despised. Verse 11. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our hands. Notice how Paul is at necessities. Material necessities, he has none. The Corinthians, a port city, very wealthy. They've got the big mansion up on the hill. You know, somebody one time said that if there was a mega church in Paul's day, it was Corinth. When you think about what a mega church is all about, there they are. You know what the thing is? He says, I'm sitting down here. I'm your apostle. I'm the one teaching you. That's why he says, wherefore I beseech you, be you followers of me, verse 16, verse 15, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul's the guy. When you got saved, you know who you, you, know who you got saved, you know whose ministry you got saved under? Paul's ministry. Yeah, but Rick, it was Bill that led me to the Lord. Yeah, but Bill got saved. It's Paul's the guy that brought the information. He's the one that begot you. It's his gospel. Paul says, you guys have it over here. And yet, you know what? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty, verse 11. I'm naked. I'm buffeted, beat on. They're smacking me around. 2 Corinthians 12 over there, he tells them, you guys willingly allow those law keepers, the legalists, to come in there and smack you across the face and you say, Give me a, hit me again. What's wrong with you people? Being, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. Boy, look at, Paul says, hey, come join the ministry. By the way, you're going to be the offscouring. You know what that is? You get that... You ever make a lasagna and you get at the end and you go clean the pan up and there's that burnt crust around? It's just that, ugh. Actually, it's the best part, but it's the, and you get in there and you've got to scrape it. You've got to soak it for three days. That's just that throwaway part, off-scouring. He says, you know what? We desired food and clothing and necessities. Come over to 2 Corinthians 11, and you know what you guys did? Nothing. So you know what? I would think it would be a little okay for Paul to have a little lust issue. 
you know. Somebody has, you're, you don't have, you know. <laughs> you think about that. I mean, I'm not condoning that you lust after covetousness, but you think about Paul's situation. No wonder he struggled with covetousness. He doesn't have, he sees a group of people he's been teaching and, and dealing with, and guess what? They've got, and they're not taking care of him. They're not obeying the truth. Well, I think a little, you guys are eating, I'm eating here at McDonald's, and you're down at Loghorn Steakhouse. What's going on here? You know, what's happening here? 2 Corinthians 11, you start there in verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Again, sarcasm here. I am more, and labor's more abundant, and stripes more above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths off. By the way, let's join this ministry. Yeah, come on, let's do the work of this ministry. By the way, that's what we do. But, boy, isn't this appealing? Well, it is when you're in the serving in the newness of the Spirit, see. Hey, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day, and I have been in the deep. And you go on down there, verse 28. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Boy, Paul. (laughs) Again, you can't really blame Paul for wanting food and shelter and just the basic necessities. Just to be taken care of. The wonderful thing about it, let's come over to Philippians chapter 4, is when we get back in Romans 7, and what Paul's talking about in Romans 7 is because of Romans or Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of what? Want, covetousness, lust. For I have... Learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what? Content. Do you see that Paul had to learn? Romans 7, he's over here struggling to repress it and do it all on his own. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, I'm failing. But if I come over here and I operate under the grace principle, and I operate under who I am in Christ, and I have the life of the, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in me. You know what I've learned to be? That divine operating principle of contentment. Even though I don't have and I'm struggling and I'm sitting on this beach naked because I've been in a shipwreck again and I've lost everything again. In everything, give thanks. It's learned condition. It's fascinating. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am, what? Instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I've been instructed. Who instructed him? The Word of God instructs him. Romans 8 instructs him. You're talking about being in the divine, I I love that divine operating system of contentment. Now, I got to, he's not talking about paying the bills or anything. He's talking about being in covetousness. I want. And he says, you know what? I've learned to be okay with not having. It's fantastic. Why? Verse 13. 
in. I can do all things through the old law principle and me trying to do it and the outward performance of me, 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 me. No, he says, no, I can't do it. I have to do it. It's not in my own ability. It's not in my strength. It's in who? Christ. It's who I am in Christ. Folks, your ability, your strength, your capacity does not come internally. It comes outwardly, externally. You're doing something. You're flapping your arms like a bird. Where that grace, the contentment, the operating of the Holy Spirit works, again, Ephesians 3.16, strengthens what? That inner man. Come back to Romans 7. So when we go into this, you can't blame Paul. I don't blame him. He's, it's not a good thing to have covetousness, but there's why. He looks around, oh my goodness, is it really? Oh man, I got to get going. Whew. Paul here. Real life here. By the way, he doesn't say this only happened one time. He doesn't say it happened many times. He says it can what? Happen. And when it does, verse 8, 7, 8, but sin taking what? Occasion. Not just one time, but how many times? As often as you allow it. See. Paul says, I learned to be content. I don't think he learned it on the first go around. <laughs> He's just like you and I, hard-headed. He is. He's just a man. So I think he probably learned it on about the 50th time, like you and I do, you know. He says, hey, but sin taking occasion. It comes along and it takes, by the way, verse 11 there, for sin taking occasion. He says it twice there. Pay attention to when he repeats himself. Why? Because it's important. <laughs> What's it doing? Sin comes along, takes the opportunity to do something. Verse 8, it's occasioned by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. The law said no, sin said yes. The law says thou shalt not, the sin says oh yes you can, and guess what the law cannot do? It can't fix the situation. I tried to use that back when we were in Ro earlier in the Romans. You look at an MRI, you go to the MRI, what does the MRI tell you? You got a problem and here's where it's at. But the MRI cannot fix it. It takes a who to fix it. It takes a doctor to fix it. See, The MRI, the law just did what? It's there. Boop, 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 boop. There it is. Grace comes along and says, let's fix it. So what does sin do? It takes an occasion. It exploits that weakness. It exploits the inability of the law to stop it. It exploits your inability to stop it. You can't do it. It takes advantage of it. Of it. it comes along, verse 9 there, I was alive without the law once. See that? But then sin what? Revived. It comes alive. It gets moving. It's already alive. Revived is now it goes into action. Now it's, no, it's not laying dormant. Now it's going. And you know what begins to happen? 
sin, verse 11, comes along and does what? Deceives you. Think about that. How does sin, does, it gives you a false hope, doesn't it? Gives you a false sense of security. Gives you a false ability, a false power, a false reality, a false assurance, a false conviction. Sin understands. You know what sin understands? You by nature are a sinner. And your nature enjoys being a sinner. And I can just push your buttons. Because you as a believer, what do you want to do? Serve and worship God. But yet you got this little problem in your life that the law says you shouldn't have. So I think you ought to come over here and work on getting that out. So instead of tithing 10, you need to be 15%. Instead of tithing 10, you need to be 20. Instead of just coming and enjoying and growing and operating in grace, I think you need to be up here early to cut the grass and to blow off the sidewalk. I knew I'd get an amen on that one. Hey, I think you need to volunteer to be the building's cleaners. I think you need to volunteer to be the greeters. I think you need to become the janitorial staff. And, and, and that's you and your thinking. Because if you go do that, then God will be happy with you. See? Because we're talking about believers, and what are we trying to do? Serve and we, we're going to go here and serve God, worship God. And what does our old man, that old sin nature come in and say? You can do it. And I look at you and go, what are you doing? And you go, you know, now don't get me wrong. If you want to volunteer for all those, we can, we can do it. <laughs> but let's do it with the proper motivation, the proper operating situation. If you notice there, verse 9, he was alive without the law once. That's a great indication that he was operating under the grace operating system at a time. And then something popped up that derailed him. You see that verse? But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. You see, you can be operating over here under full tilt going good, and then just as Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, 17, I said, some of you guys out there are walking like the Gentiles, and you need to knock it off. You're saved, you're justified, you're going good, and yet what happened? You decided, I can help him out. Crash. He, Paul says, I was good one time, but man, that lust came up, and I don't know where it came from, except I know it says, thou shalt, and I'm going to try to put that thing down. Rather than saying what? That's the very sin that Calvary covered. And I'm just going to operate under who I am in Christ. That's Romans 8. Verse 13. Oh, man. Folks, I'm trying to go slow but yet go quick because there's so much stuff here. There in verse 9, I was alive. That is so critical for you to catch what he's saying. I was alive, I was doing right, I was living as who I am in Christ, and this little sin came along and derailed the whole train. 
O wretched man that I am. And you know who derailed it? I did. Sin was always there. The little derailer thing was always there. But I got off a... And that's where he's going to go now, verse 13. Was then that which is good death made death unto me? God forbid. But sin. You see, the law... Verse 12, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. No, folks, you're already dead to the law. Your identity is already there. The law wasn't what was killing you. You're already dead by nature, by who you are. But sin, that it might appear sin... Appear sin. You're doing something. You don't know it's sinful until what, what shines on that light. <laughs> that little law LED. Boop. <laughs> gotcha. It, made, it, it became visible. It was made evident. So what does the law do? It manifests the sin. It's, it manifests who you really already are. By the way, where does sin, well, verse 13. Death in, uh, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding. Can you, how can sin become exceeding sinful? It just gets worse and worse. You don't understand that. You just, you take whatever little inhibition that you have, you sit down with a bag of Oreos and a glass of milk, and pretty long the Oreos are gone and the milk's still there. <laughs> Duncan, <laughs> I don't drink, you know, right? Take whatever little, th- and it just does what? It just, boom, we bought a bag of chips the other day. It was gone. I'm like, what happened? Linda goes, you ate it. I go, I did? She goes, yeah, because I didn't have any. I go, I don't even remember eating them. Well, we don't have kids at home anymore, so... <laughs> So the dogs ate it. Yeah, 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 the dogs did it. Yeah, you know, what happened? You just, you know, you understand that. Verse 14, makes sin exceeding sinful. Sin will always exceed your perceived capacity to control it. You can't control it. That's the exceeding sinful. It's going to exceed your abilities to control it. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual. Now we're going to get into it. Now we got 10 minutes to do about an hour's worth of study. The law is what? What is the law? Spiritual. Okay? The law is spiritual. And this is where we begin to see the pattern here that Paul's going to begin to lay out. In what way is the law spiritual? Okay, now you have to think about this. Where does the law work? The law is a system that works in the realm of the spirit. The law is spiritual, but I am carnal, flesh, sold under sin. Two different realms are listed here. Ephesians 4, verse 23, he says, Be renewed in the spirit of your 
mind. Oh, there's the key. You remember the three circles about who you are? The real you? The first one is spirit, and I wrote mind on there. Then soul, there's your heart and your will and your, who you are, then your body. Think about that spirit and your mind. The law is spiritual. And what Paul's going to begin to do now is he's going to begin to isolate out in the rest of the chapter why the law isn't going to work. Verse 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my what? My mind. Bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. You see the... The law, what he means by the law is spiritual is this issue of the law of my mind. It's designed to operate in the realm of the spirit of our minds, of our thinking. Notice in verse 25. So, the, so with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. You see that thing about mind and law? They become connected. The law, being spiritual, has to do with the realm of your thinking, of your, of your mind, because that's where the law begins to operate. And Paul is thinking here about the law system and how it convicts, and he's convicting himself, he's convincing himself that all I have to do is adjust my thinking to the do's and the don'ts of the law system, and I'll win, and I'll be good. But I have to adjust what? My thinking, my mind. Because with my mind, then my heart gets involved, and with the, uh, the heart, the man you know, believes under righteousness, and my wills get in there, and the will says, we're going to go do this, and I've got this thinking pattern that comes that's bad news. It's not good. And you, because you know what sin does? It takes occasion. Verse 11, for sin taking occasion of the what? Of the what? Of the commandment. So when you have the commandment, you got the law, and it begins to work in your mind. What does sin say? You can do it. And the law says, no, you can't. And sin says, yes, you can. Keep reading. It's in there somewhere. I know it is. And it deceives you into thinking that you can restrain it, that you can deal with it. And Paul says, my personal experience is, is that sin became exceedingly sinful, and it just exceeded my ability. Do you, do you see what he's doing here? I hope so. He, his reference here, as he's talking about how the law is intended to operate. It's, it, the law is designed to operate in our thinking. Verse 14, I am carnal, sold under sin. The result of being in, chap, in verses 7 to 13, is the result is being sold. Back into that slave market of sin. You've been rescued from it, Romans 1 to 5. Now you just went right back into it in your daily lives. So you know what he tells you? He says, you know what, you can serve God, but it can't be based on your own abilities, capacities, self-righteous, good work, because it isn't going to get the job done. 
So he starts in verse 15. You've got three stages here, okay? All right? 15 to 17 is a stage. By the way, these are back, these are in reverse order. 15 to 17, you've got the last stage, and, it, and this is, he's going to describe what it means to be sold under sin. What does it mean? Then in verse 18 to 20, the next stage there, he's going to begin to talk about the, the next element, and verse 21 to 23 is the last stage. Verse 15, just for time, we'll go quickly here. Notice verse 15. Notice what stands out in the verse. For that which I do, I allow not. For, that, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Do you get the, what stands out? Do. The word do. I do, do. You see, here's the emphasis is do. So write down D-O, do. Okay? Verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then is it, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. All right, I'll write it up here. I wasn't going to do this. Okay? Do. Sin does what? Dwells in me, right? All right? 15 to 17, emphasis. 18 to 20. Notice the emphasis. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, what? Dwelleth no good thing for, key words here, to will. Is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. There is no more that uh, I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 18, this part is the will. By the way, sin does what? Sin dwells, doesn't it? See that? Third stage, verse 21. Paul's going a little deeper now. He's going to start digging deeper here. He says, verse 21... I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Keep reading there. And bringing me in captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. What do we have? If sin is in my members, sin's what? Dwelling there, isn't it? Three times. In the passage, that's how they come. But they're in reverse order in the way that they flow. The way you think, your mind. The way you think, work this backwards here. The way you think, your mind, determines your will, your decisions and priorities in life. And that impacts your will. 
and your will determines what you're going to go do. Follow that? See, I want, you got to see the pattern. Boy, it's clear as the nose on your face, end of your nose. The nose on, the, on your face. You see, the law is, is spiritual. It's dwelling in my mind. It's in my thinking. But it's a problem, verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in the where? This is in, 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 inward man. Not inner man, inward man. Very, there's a big, we'll talk about that more next time because of time. There's a big reason why he says inward and not inner. Okay? Big reason is is because an unsaved person works the same way. You know unsaved people who follow the Ten Commandments to the letter and the T, dot the I's, cross the T's. They're unsaved. And you know what? It starts here, it goes there, and it goes there. Inward. Okay? All right, we'll talk more about that next time. <laughs> Remind me. Paul's telling us there, this is how God expects us to live and to serve and to worship him. Yet, Paul's conclusion is what? If you're doing it under the law principle, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? When you're doing it in the energy of your own abilities, then you're in trouble. That's why you need 8-2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This is... Sin, sin, this is how sin deceives, by the way. This is how it deceives you. This is how it sl sl slays you. This is how it exploits and uses the law, the, the law program. If I think it, it must be right. That's the essence of sin, isn't it? If I it's got to be there. Folks, the law is spiritual. It's working in a realm that sin will exploit, and that realm is your thinking. Come over real quick, one more verse, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. We'll pick up here and wrap up, clean some of this up for you next time, and then wrap this up, this chapter up. Folks, you've got to understand Paul's conclusion in verse 24 and 25 is, is, oh, wretched man, okay, is that there is something wrong here. It isn't good. It isn't good to have the law of God be, you know, delighting in the law of God. That isn't good. There's a problem. That's the point. The law isn't the problem. The problem is something else. It's sin. It's me. See? Paul's conclusion in verse 24 of chapter 7 is that there is something wrong here. And yet I'm over here doing the, the Ten Commandments, the Thou Shalt Not, the law of God, which is mo the Mosaic law. By the way, there's like six laws here listed. By the way, they're not all the Ten Commandments. The law of God is the, the Ten Commandments. And his conclusion is that there is something wrong. That's, who can deliver me? He says, I thank God through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's get over in the right operating system. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul says, But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your, what? Minds. 
should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Do you know where sin attacks? Right there in your mind. He goes there first. Whether it's a sin of pride, whether it's the sin of lust, whether it's the sin of stupidity, whatever it is, you know where it starts? Right there. You know why it starts there? Because that's where the law is. Paul tells you and I to do nine of the Ten Commandments. Do you think the law is good to do and to have on board? Sure it is. But the law does, the messianic law, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel 36, he's going to write the law in their hearts. What law did he write in their hearts? Well, the only law he's ever given, which is what we know to be the Mosaic law. But you know what he says? He says, I'm going to do it. You guys failed. I'm going to write this in you. I'm going to cause you to do You know what God's grace says? Free gift, turkey, you didn't do nothing. Christ, I did everything for you. See that? You got that right then. And that's what we're going to get into Romans 8, okay? All right. A lot of information. You've got to think this stuff through. Romans 7 is, is a tough passage. It's a tough chapter. But I hope that you can see the the patterns here on a little more clear basis, all right? Okay, let's go get some coffee and uh, unboggle your mind for next hour, all right? Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son, for that identity. And Lord, I just pray that we would live in that. In your name we pray, amen.